Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. I don't think you have to be an expert in the world of football to note that the Indianapolis Colts have a problem. I think you could have watched yesterday's game. The Colts losing to the Titans, 24-17. They are third in the AFC South with a record of 1-2-1. and And you could also argue that they're lucky to have the one against the Kansas City Chiefs. They could easily be the Houston Texans at 0-3-1. But the record is what the record is. The question is, what's wrong with this team? Flashes of really being able to move an offense, but no flash of a running game. An offensive line that is paid this high that does that little. And a defense that didn't seem to come up with the stops when it was necessary, when they could. Tony Katz, good to be with you. JMV joins us right now from 93.5-1075. The fan right here in Indianapolis, Indiana, 3 to 6 p.m. over there. On uh, the, the, the fan, you know, I texted you yesterday. I'm like, uh, who, who gets fired? And this is still my question. Are we at a place with the Colts at one, two, and one, two division losses uh, uh, to, Jag- to the Jaguars and to Tennessee, the tie with the Texans? Um, is anybody getting fired this week in a short week as they head off to Denver to play the Broncos on Thursday? Well, Tony, certainly not in a short week. Nobody's going to get fired. But you have seen a list of scapegoats so far. You go back to Blankenship after week number one, missing that field goal. He was a scapegoat. He's out. You know, obviously McLaughlin comes in. He missed yesterday, too. Uh, You have seen Danny Pinter as the scapegoat at right guard yesterday. He was out. Will Fries came in on the offensive line. I would still be incredibly surprised, Tony, if Jim Irsay makes – a head coaching change because that's all we're talking about here. And obviously we'll get to Ballard in a second uh, because his fingerprints are all over this mess right now too, in a major way. But let's face it. You look at Frank Reich, Tony, Frank Reich is not the coach that you're looking for with this group, or this group is not a great group for this coach. Either way, at some point if the season continues to go this direction, Frank is not going to be the head coach in 2023. I still find it hard to believe at some point because he's never done it that Jim Irsay would do it during the season. I don't know what the embarrassing point might be because it's all been pretty embarrassing in these losses and this tie so far. But I still would be surprised if Jim Irsay made a change, Tony, midseason. But let's just face it, it's going down this hill where Frank Reich will not be the coach here next season if this continues. And they give you know the fans, the media that covers it, really no reason to suggest otherwise at this point. Now, you, you talk about, you know, at this point, it, yeah. you, are, you, are you making the argument that it, the playoffs have to happen to survive, or is it deep into the playoffs that, that have to survive? And how do you get there when you see an offensive line that, uh, you know, you talk about the fact the highest paid uh, offensive line in the NFL, but the, 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 the sacks, the, the, the pressing, and then you, you lead to the, to the fumbles from, from Matt Ryan, um, how, how do you how do you come to accept this as something that can happen all year long, even if they do eke out some wins? Well, let me let me give you a, a two layered answer to what you just asked right there. If things get massively more embarrassing 
then again, maybe that will set the stage a path where Jim Irsay hasn't gone down before. I'm talking about what we have seen so far and the disappointment in the loss column and tie. Um, not to mention the fact that we're talking about a team and an owner in the offseason that all he did was talk about how Carson Wentz was the issue, Carson Wentz is gone, and how this team has to beat Tennessee. He, to me, and I think I told you this on Friday, to me he's been smitten with Tennessee and how they win because the Colts were so built to win in the fashion in which Tennessee is supposed to win with toughness with running, what they like to call grit, playing some defense, having a tough offensive line, and it's all to this point blown up in their face. And this is what, to me, stands the reason why there is no way in the world that Frank is going to be back next year when it goes down this path, but maybe gets the gate at some point this year because the embarrassment. Tony, you go back to last week, and once again, Jim Mercer via Twitter was outspoken about how much value, how premium of a game this is to finally beat Tennessee. And, Tony, they – give their owner the worst first half that we have seen since, I don't know, two weeks ago, three weeks ago in Houston, two weeks ago in Jacksonville, that to me means either the coach has lost the locker room or the locker room's not with the coach or these guys just simply don't get it. But that is embarrassing to the owner. And if you can't come out there and look better than that in the first half as they didn't yesterday, changes besides the right guard, changes besides the place kicker, which, by the way, is still not fixed, need to be made. I just don't know it's layered if he'll do it this year unless there's this massive embarrassment that takes place. But, again, with this team, Tony, that's not out of the realm of possibility, as we've seen. Talking to JMV from 93.5-1075, the fan, Matt Ryan – was 27 of 37 for 356 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. Uh, there were, I believe, the, the, the fumble as well. He can throw 27 for 37, 356. You would consider a good day. That happens because Jonathan Taylor had 20 carries for 42 yards, which again goes back to either the offensive line or a problem with Jonathan Taylor. Um, talk to me about whether or not Ryan is competent uh, as a quarterback, and what in the world is going on with our running game? No, I think you could throw it at times. I mean, he made these guys work for it yesterday, Tony. As you saw, they were throwing behind and in front and over the head, and and these guys are having to work for it. Clearly, he's found a a little bit of an opening there with the tight ends, whether you're talking about the rookie Jelani Woods or Mo Ali Cox had a nice afternoon yesterday. Seems like he's getting a little bit going with Alec Pierce. But the guy has fumbled 10 stinking times, Tony, Ten times in four games. I mean, I believe that's more than a couple of stinking teams here. Ten times, even you, I mean, it'll be incredibly masculine, I'm sure, but even with your smallish, incredibly, I'm sure, masculine hands would hold on to it longer than that. I mean, smallish? Terrible. Smallish yet masculine, right? I'm not that's sure. I'm not sure how to take yeah, that, no, but no, keep no, going. Seriously, no, he can throw it, Tony. He, he can throw it when he gets time, but that's where it all starts. It all starts with the offensive line. It's been awful. And that's where it goes back to Chris Ballard, as I alluded to earlier. The foundational blocks of what has been built here, they have failed. On the offensive line, on the defensive line, all the values that you have and how you constructed a team against what I think should be constructed in this era of the NFL, not putting value on the wide receivers, putting value on a $20 million per left guard or the defensive line going with the 37-year-old quarterback He has gone opposite of what it normally takes to win in the modern era of the NFL. Those are foundational building blocks, and to this point, they have absolutely failed. And if that offensive line does that, it doesn't matter anything else. 
the whole system's going to fail. If you're uh, advising Coach Reich, one one change, wh- what is it? What is the one change that can at least get this team started? Because they have certainly uh, took to the second half to really start uh, showing some movement, so showing some activity. What is the one change that, that you make? I don't think he has it in his bag right now. Uh, that sounds bad. I don't think he has it in his bag. A lot of people would say, hey, just how about the change in demeanor, the change in personality? You know, screaming and yelling. You know, doing something Mike Vrabel on the other sideline yesterday might do. Yeah, that's not him. Nobody's going to take to that. You know, if they don't take to, you know, the necessity of winning a game of that magnitude yesterday, they're not going to take to somebody all of a sudden switching their personality, you know, in midstream like this because you know that your job is on the line. And, you know, I talk about not having it in their bag. They don't have it in their bag because it starts with the offensive line. This is supposed to be a running team. Jonathan Taylor can't run. He can't get a crease. He can't get any space whatsoever. You go back to last week. Remember on that fourth down call where he tried to jump the pile around yep. midfield to get that first down? You know why he did that? Is because he knew that there was going to be no space going off the $20 million left guard to be had. So he thought he was going to outsmart people and go midair. And that didn't work out either. It starts with this offensive line. And really, both sides of this line, when they don't get it done to the magnitude in which they have not so far this team, the way it's constructed, is sure to fail, and that's on the shoulders of Chris Ballard, the general manager. Damn, that's rough. That is rough. That was JMV from 935 107.5. Uh, the fan, uh, catch him 3 to 6 p.m. over there. Uh, guaranteed to fail on Ballard. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that's on Ballard because I think that we would have all agreed in the start of the season, that these were the right players, that these are guys who can play, that these are guys who are rough and tumble. We would not have said anything about this offensive line. Now, if you said to me, you know what, we're getting rid of the offensive line, coach. This isn't working. We're getting rid of the scheme. It's not working. That is correct. If you want to talk about, uh, I I think JMV brought up very well, you know, uh, the amount of fumbles from Matt Ryan, that's a real problem. And a, and half of it's on Ryan and half of it is on an offensive line that's not giving him any uh, protection, which again goes back to this this coach. Uh, Pinter, Fries, uh, I'm not sure how you, you look at that. You still need somebody maybe who's better than both those guys in, in on, on that side, on that left, yeah, left side. Um, but you 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 still are are, are left with. Uh, you, you are still left with what goes next. And exactly how much really can can Jamerse take? Um, I think that one of the problems, I think that one of the problems that Colts fans have, because certainly I don't fit into that category. I, I watch, I want to enjoy uh, the game yesterday. It was not enjoyable. The only thing good or enjoyable about the game is that my cigar was, was great and the ribs were on the smoker. Like, that that was the most enjoyable part of the... Oh, and my kids were there. We ended up watching uh, a good part of the game together. I was like, oh, this is good. This, you're a parent. It's good. It's totally good. Uh, it, it's, it's... I don't want to hear Jim Irsay tell me about how this is the guy and this is the year. I don't want to hear about how we're really excited to have so-and-so and such-and-such. Just win. Now, you'll tell me... If I'm off base on where the the fan is, I think that's where the fan is. 
I think that the real Colts fan is we've had enough cheerleading. We've had enough uh, from Andrew Luck is is the future to, to now. I, I, it's, it's enough. There comes a moment where you must deliver for these people. And you cannot get angry at these people, the fans, for looking at you and saying, what the hell? And I don't know how much, and this is where I, I disagree with JMV, I don't know how much of that is 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 looking at uh, Chris Ballard, the, the general manager, as it is looking at Jim Ursay. And I think that's the part that might very well move Jim Ursay the most. I have never met the man. I don't know the man. He might be a remarkably confident cat. You know, I, 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 he, he certainly seems to be a guy who likes to enjoy himself. He's got the band and he does the collecting and all that. That only goes so far. You're one, two, and one. And you you should have won the game that you tied. You should have at least been close against uh, Jacksonville, you were lucky against Kansas City. I think the moment has come, and again, I, I, I'm an observer, not the biggest fan, much more an observer. The observers in me states that the fans have grown weary of Jim Irsay. Now, you could argue that I'm wrong. I'm willing to listen if you think that I'm wrong. I just don't think that I'm wrong. I don't think that it is wrong to say that the fans have grown weary of Jim Ursay and the promises here and the fighter here and so excited this just win. I mean, now we're going into Al Davis territory. Just win, baby. We, you, you get veteran quarterback after veteran quarterback because we still haven't picked up a quarterback and no one seems to be willing to give Sam Ellinger the shot and say, all right, let's build this team. I mean, it's just not coming. You've spent all this money on an offensive line that can't protect a guy, which says to me it's much more about the coaching than, than, than the players. That's my take. And you're accepting the as JMV discusses this attitude of, of Frank Reich as the attitude of the team, which seems to be kind of not connected to the kind of attitude that you, Jim Irsay, actually want. So let's see some Jim Irsay attitude. Change this whole team. But stop telling the fans that you're super excited and everything's great. Oh, look, look at my new guitar. They're starting to not care. That's my take. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. I was discussing earlier today about how um, the city of Indianapolis is trying to hire everyone they can for positions that seemingly people don't want anymore. And, and the reason they don't want them is that they have found other ways of 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 working their financial future. They don't necessarily need it. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, good to be with you. There was a story I did, oh gosh, I think it might have been on the morning show, about a, maybe it was three weeks ago, a month ago, I, I forget. And it was about how restaurants are in dire need of chefs and cooks. Dire, dire need. I looked at, at the story about Twin Peaks, 
Uh, they're going to open a location near uh, Greenwood, near the Greenwood Park Mall. And I, and I, I got to admit, I, I have never been in a, in a Twin Peaks restaurant. I, 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 I took me a while to learn that a, a Twin Peaks is kind of like a kind of like a Hooters. And I was like, oh, now I get it. It, it, it's like there, there's a joke in there somewhere, and if you just if you just listen hard enough for it, if you just try, uh, you will you'll you'll get the joke. If you just take your time, Tony, and just and just just try, you you'll be like, oh oh, I get it now. Tony 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 Tony. That's Twin Peaks. Where are they going to get the people to cook the food? That's a serious question that I'm asking. You take a look at the the servers they want to hire for Twin Peaks. Couldn't one of those servers say, wait a second, can't I make more money on OnlyFans? I'm not, I'm not being crude when I say that. I'm discussing reality. Couldn't you make more money... On OnlyFans than you could from working in a restaurant and having to show up at all hours and having to clean a bathroom. It's about a rethink of of how you make money. The Indianapolis Public Works team, they're saying we're, we're trying to figure this out because we don't have enough garbage collectors. We're willing to pay the training fee so people can get their CDL, their commercial driver's license, so they can do this. And you say to me, well, what are you going to do? Who wants to collect garbage? Um, who's going to collect your garbage? They are absolutely right to be concerned about what is happening. Absolutely right to be concerned about how they get people hired because a city that doesn't provide the services... In the end, the things that people care about is the trash pick up and the snow and get plowed. The snow gets plowed, right? That's it. That's what they care about. You can't do those things. You're out. So they're increasing pay. They're, they're, they're adding bonuses for job retention. They're doing a lot. They're not wrong. And what this will lead to, and this is for the political right to have to st- kind of figure out, in order to ensure the services remain... You may have to pay more. Does that mean taxes? How does that work? How does that work? You you may not want to like like the conversation. Some people might be knee-jerk to it. Reality is what it is. It's a real issue that Indy's having in many cities across the country. How does one fix it when OnlyFans or some TikTok channel is right there? Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. So Cal Berkeley, we're talking about the Liberal Haven University there in California. The story got reported that UC Berkeley, Cal Berkeley, has created Jewish free zones and are banning pro-Israel speakers. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. Now, I read this a certain way. I read this story from the New York Post uh, and talking about the bylaws updated for the new academic year. 
and their plan is to stop the spread of Zionist beliefs. These organizations will not invite speakers that have expressed interest and continue to hold views or host or sponsor or promote events in support of Zionism, the apartheid state of Israel, and the occupation of Palestine. This is in the bylaw that's written by the Berkeley Law Students for Justice in Palestine. As I see it, this is Berkeley agreeing that they will gladly engage the continued attacks on Israel. They are proud to be an anti-Semitic organization in terms of a university. Or it means that as a university, they've really and truly failed their students in the idea of being able to have open debate even with people they disagree with. And certainly anybody who refers to Israel as an apartheid state is somebody who I truly do discount. I mean, they're allowed to say it. They're just, they're just wrong, despicable, terrible, and awful. Rabbi Ben Sendro joins us uh, right now. He is the rabbi at Congregation Sharei Tefillah in Carmel, Indiana. Full disclosure, my rabbi, Indiana's rabbi, America's rabbi, Rabbi Ben Sendro. <laughs> uh, I sent you uh, this story. You keep up uh, with a tremendous number of stories regarding uh, Zionism and anti-Semitism. So I want to start with first a definition and then your take on the New York Post piece. How do you define Zionism? And then what was your takeaway from this, this uh, article, this, this, this piece at the New York Post? You know, I'm so glad you asked for a definition of Zionism. I uh, took a personal position publicly uh, a few years ago that I would no longer refer to myself as pro-Israel, although I am exactly what people mean when they say pro-Israel. But I have been saying for years, we have a perfectly good term that we have abandoned, and that term is Zionism. And what it means is the right of the Jewish people to have a free state in the biblical land of Israel within safe and secure borders. That's what Zionism is, but we've stopped using it, and our enemies have taken it over and redefined it and made it into something it never was and never will be. Zionism is not bigotry. It's what I said, the right of the Jewish people to a safe and secure homeland in Israel. So now we've defined it, and I've discussed the fact on air that I'm a Zionist. I'm, I'm not here to shy away from it. I'm, I'm, I'm totally uh, fine with discussing it this way. But when you read that piece, because I sent you what, what I was referring to, you responded back via text with the, with the most amazing response, which was basically, oh, yeah, this is the boilerplate stuff. This is the boilerplate stuff? Oh, my goodness. Um Absolutely. Uh, when I taught Bible at a local university, we'll, we'll spare them the embarrassment of being named. And Indiana is usually better at about this than most places. Um, the number of pro-Palestinian, anti-Israel, and I don't think that those two things have to go hand in hand. You can feel sympathy for the Palestinian people, but recognize that their plight is the fault of their leadership, not the fault of Israel. 
the speakers that were brought in that had to do with the Middle East, obviously not all were, were all on the same side of the line. And it was an extremist position, the Israel as an apartheid state, for example. That's being taught as fact on our college campuses today. And speakers who uh, speakers who have an alternative position and who are invited usually end up disinvited. I have a friend, you know him. He does a lot of public speaking. He's had to have security on some college campuses because he's not spouting the party line about uh, Israel's occupation of Palestinian land. The, the very idea of occupation, because when I see somebody write about uh, the, the, the illegal occupation, I, again, I, I do write them off because it's, it's a pretty radical thing, thing to say from a historical, from a biblical uh, point of view, talking to Rabbi Ben Sendro, uh, full disclosure, my rabbi, um, uh, conservative uh, rabbi, Congregation Shari Tefila in Carmel, Indiana. Um, the the uh, the question it goes to you know when when, when people talk about uh, apartheid state or they talk about occupied territories even the idea of referring to Palestinians again these are things that that require discussion and 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 definition um, if if apartheid state is allowed to be discussed on college campuses without any response to it. How does that college campus, in your view, think that it's somehow providing a, in any way, liberal education? Well, I think that uh, their intention is not to provide a well-rounded liberal education, liberal obviously being used in a different context here. I believe that because they are so convinced that they are right and the rest of us are not only wrong but evil, that these have become institutions of indoctrination, not exploration. And it should be, a university should be a place where ideas are explored, not stifled. But this this is this is not about education. This this is about hate. This is about anti-Semitism. And you have universities that are uh, embracing this. Yet you and I both know that there will be Jewish parents who send their Jewish children to Cal Berkeley in the fall or in the spring, and and think, oh, my child goes to Berkeley. How do do you ever get to consult with people on this? Do you ever uh, discuss with them? Do they change their mind? How do how do Jews accept this? It's a concern of parents. It truly is. Um, that's what I hear from, uh, from parents of kids going off to school. How do I equip my child to deal with the anti-Semitism on college campuses? And uh, it's, it's a, it's a, Sticky problem. It's not simple. Uh, you know, I, I've talked to at least a half a dozen students during my time in Indiana who were assigned papers by professors and wanted to write about Israel and the Middle East, but knew if they wrote what they believed, they would do poorly 
on the paper. And their question to me is, do I write what I believe or do I placate my professor and parrot back what we've been hearing all semester? It's truly, I mean, it's just stunning how widespread and common it is. Talking to Rabbi Ben Sendro, I I, I want to go back because you know we were talking about definitions, and I think that there is a moment when we start talking about the Palestinians. What what actually are we re- referring to? Um, if, if we go back and we talk about. Uh, Israel's uh, existence, and you take a look at those people who are uh, ethically Egyptian or Jordanian who weren't allowed back into their own countries, and then it, it where they were, this all of a sudden became, we see the term Palestinian come up. I have seen that and discussed that numerous times. So, so to the extent that there is a Palestinian people, wh- where does the term come from? Who, who are they? Who are we dealing with here? And exactly what is happening when you talk about leadership, which is Hamas, uh, as, as I see it, what is the leadership issue and how does one solve this? Oh, the leadership issue, uh, as you may know, got even worse. Um, Palestinian Media Watch reported that Fatah, the uh, governing body uh, with the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank, has announced formally a return to terrorism. Um, It's absolutely stunning. Absolutely stunning. The other question has to do with how how do you how do you define who the Palestinian people are? Palestine was never ever a country. Palestine is a region, same way we live in the Midwest. That's not a state. It's not a country. It's an area. Palestine is an area. There was a time during the British Mandate when everyone who lived in that area was known as Palestinian, including Jews, but. Uh, there was never a sovereign state of Palestine or the nation of Palestine. When the state of Israel was born, some of those Palestinians took on a new identity. But even then, the, the people today referred to as the Palestinians were simply referred to as Arab. And, uh, I should know the history a little better, I guess, because I can't tell you exactly when the shift began to calling them Palestinians. But um, I do have an issue with it because it, to me, conveys a message that was never historically true. And that is that there was a nation of Palestine that these were the descendants of its citizens, and if not for the occupying state of Israel, they would be living happily alongside uh, everybody else in the region. And this is why I I, I bring it up in in that I've always uh, utilized Palestinian people with with air quotes. Not that they're not people, that's nuts, but that the idea that of as a people, that is a a modern 
uh, twist on things. And if you're going to argue, well, uh, Palestine has been occupied uh, by by Jews or, or by Israelis, well, then the people who are being occupied are obviously a people, et cetera, et cetera, and to create further further connection uh, to the land. I am someone, as uh, just to put a bow on this, I, I am someone when we talk about Israel who does not believe that a two-state solution is possible. I might be in a minority in, 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 in that case. But certainly nothing can happen if Israel is not allowed to exist. What you're seeing on college campuses, what we see from uh, Cal Berkeley, um, these are the kinds of things that need to be uh, fought back against with, as, as I see it, with, with serious force uh, uh, of the mind and, 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 and of the word. Um, what, what is your counsel to people as a rabbi when you see this? I think that uh, most of the people that I talk to about this are, are Jewish, but um, we should acknowledge that there is great support for the state of Israel among the religious Christian community, and the term Christian Zionist is one that I, I love, and, and I, I love the people. I tell Jewish people, I tell my congregation that they have to be conversant in these issues. They have to know the history. For example, we're talking about Palestinians who uh, are called refugees. The United United Nations has a special definition of refugee that applies only to Palestinians and a separate definition for the rest of the world. Again, nothing new, a double standard for Israel. We have to know the ways that Israel protects herself today, and we have to speak out and make sure that the United States-Israel relationship stays strong, and that in practical terms, the United States continues to help Israel to fund missile defense systems, again, defense systems, like Iron Dome and David Sling and Arrow, because these are existential issues for Israel. Without those things, rockets rain down on Israel by the hundreds, and tens of thousands have have been fired into Israel. Without the missile defense system, I shudder to think what uh, how much worse things could have been. Rabbi yeah. Ben Sendro, uh, I, I appreciate you as I always do. Uh, you can follow him on uh, Twitter, uh, CST Rabbi, CST for Congregation Shari Tefila, CST Rabbi on uh, the, the Twitter box. And then uh, from there, you can check out his YouTube uh, channel and his uh, his weekly work over there. Uh, Rabbi Sendro, uh, good to see you. A very happy new year, and I will see you soon. Always a pleasure to talk to you, Tony. Happy new year. Be well. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz. stand behind Lee County's decision to not have that mandatory evacuation until the day before the storm. Well, did you, where was your industry station uh, when the storm hit? Were you guys in Lee County? 
no, you were in Tampa. So that's, you know, they were following the weather track and um, they had to make decisions based on that. But, you know, 72 hours, they weren't even in the cone. 48 hours, they were on the periphery. Uh, so you got to make the decisions the best you can. I will say, uh, you know, they delivered the message to people. They had shelters open. Uh, you know, everybody had adequate opportunity to at least get to a shelter within the county. Um, but, you know, a lot of the residents did not um, did not want to do that. I think for probably for various reasons, some people just don't want to leave their home, period. They're island people, whatever. But I think part of it was so much attention was paid to Tampa that I think a lot of them probably thought that they wouldn't get the worst of it. So I do really like this response from Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, to a CNN reporter. Why didn't you have Lee County evacuate? Because Lee County wasn't in trouble the three days before. The storm moved. People make their own decisions. And when they realized they were going to get hit by the storm, that's when they said, hey, you may want to get out. That's the problem with these storms. All the technology we have, sometimes it's not enough. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. But I like DeSantis taking it to him. But this desire, this desire to make this political, it's just so ugly. You think the people of Florida actually give a damn about any of it? You know what they want? Food. They want to get their house rebuilt. And they want to make sure they can put gas in their car. Oh, by the way, they might need a new car because many of their cars are now flooded. That's what they want. They don't need you deciding, hey, we're CNN. Uh, let's make it political because this is what's good. Isn't this what Chris Lick doesn't want? Start firing some reporters, Chris. Let's get it done. Find everything. TonyCats.locals.com. TonyCats.locals.com. That's where you find all the good stuff. Tomorrow, everyone, take care.